what's good everybody welcome back to another edition of the routine jumper radio i am your host jalen dixon just like and i am just a guy with a mic that loves talking nba basketball today we have got a ton on the docket so we are going to get right into it Today's focus of the podcast is going to be on what I believe are the top five storylines to watch for in the NBA coming out of NBA All-Star Weekend, a.k.a. the NBA All-Star Break, because, of course, games are not resuming until later on this week. So with that being the case, I'm going to focus on the storylines that I believe are the largest for three particular reasons. One. Because of the players that are involved and the magnitude of which they carry, not only storylines within the national media, but they are typically players that the casual fan is most likely to follow. Number two is these potential storylines have an impact on not only the playoff picture, but could also potentially impact the bracket that leads to the overall championship aspect of the playoff bracket. So rather than just finding out who the final eight teams are, the actual setup of those final eight teams in every in, in both given conferences will also be very big in determining the pathway for some of the better teams to make a push for, for the championship. And then number three is a little bit of my own personal interest. Now, I tried to leave a team like, for example, the Chicago Bulls, my favorite team. I left them out of this because, let's be honest, man, the Bulls are just not a team that people are super worried about. They were one of the fun, more fun teams to keep tabs on when you thought that they were potentially going to be trading everybody. But now that we know they're not going to be doing that nobody's really worried about the Bulls outside of Bulls fans. And I think there's even Bulls fans who are not even worried about the Bulls as much as, you know, the Bulls are. At this point, I'm going to be honest. I feel as though even the front office isn't as worried about the Bulls as maybe, you know, they should be. But that's a story for another day. I've had my rants about the Bulls on past episodes as it is. We're going to try to avoid that. Another thing is I'm going to come to this podcast a little bit differently then my episodes in the past, the last couple of episodes that I've recorded has been a little bit more stream of consciousness from the perspective of not really doing a ton of prep beforehand and more so letting it just be one of those things where I pick a topic or I pick a few topics and kind of just spew my feelings about them. And although I do enjoy being able to kind of just like provide this stream of consciousness for you guys, I do also want to start providing more knowledgeable aspects of my NBA takes as a part of these episodes. So I am going to start trying to implement much more nuance to these episodes, not by regurgitating stats in a way that's like unfollowable or just not enjoyable to listen to, but as a way to contextualize a lot of the things that I'm saying, as opposed to kind of building a narrative, but not necessarily fleshing it out with anything else besides, you know, things you see in the headlines or things that I can interpret just as a fan. So with that being the case, I have five storylines here that I think are going to be very influential on the state of the NBA playoff picture. We are going to start with my number five thing, and that is actually going to be the state of the Atlanta Hawks. There is no other way to put this than the Atlanta Hawks are in shambles. If there was one word you could use to describe the Atlanta Hawks this season, 
that word would be turmoil. Let's put things into perspective. A ton of people believe that there was a significant overpay for DeJounte Murray this past offseason to get that, albeit all-star guard next to a guy in Trey Young who definitely needed somebody else to be able to pick up ball handling responsibilities and picking up a guy like DeJounte Murray also helps defensively within a backcourt where obviously Trey Young is no plus defender by any means necessary. So there was already a lot of questions around putting the kind of capital that they did towards acquiring a guy in DeJounte Murray who actually can walk soon if he chooses to just due to his contract structure. Structure. Now, let's take a look at the circumstances of this team so far. So far this season, they are 29 and 30 as of when I'm recording this. Eighth in the Eastern Conference, just hanging around on a thread, but would be a part of the play-in tournament as of right now. Their head coach is no longer Nate McMillan, who was just recently fired after, after having such a rough start to the season. Their initial executive they had, Travis Schlenk, who started off the season as one of their lead GMs for this team is no longer, he chose to step down earlier this season. Now Landry Fields has stepped up. The team is eighth in scoring, but 21st in points allowed. They are 14th offensively and 21st defensively. So they're one of those teams that is struggling to omit, they're, they're struggling to initiate high octane offense while also also struggling to be able to guard at an elite caliber level now let's also throw out how this trade deadline went john collins is still on this freaking team that's something that i feel like is almost the epitome of turmoil when you look at this team because if you thought if, if there was anything that you felt like was a given when it came to the Atlanta Hawks it was John Collins was not going to be on this team by the end of the season it feels like John Collins has been in trade rumors since he was since the minute he got his contract extension two or three years ago it seems like the minute he got that money everybody gave him the Tobias Harris treatment of that dude is overpaid for what he provides they need to get him out of here. And this season, things have been even worse because he's been unable to stay on the floor due to continuously suffering injuries. I think most recently he went into concussion protocol, if I'm not mistaken. The dude has had a hard time staying on the floor. If we pull up the actual numbers for Collins, he has played in 50 games, which I think is is solid but it kind of just always seems like he's picking up knickknack injuries so despite the fact that he's played in majority of the games it feels as though he hasn't been able to consistently stay within the lineup and every time that he seems to kind of start catching his footing he gets injured um so i think the big thing with this team is when you look at it again let's go down the 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 turmoil roller coaster for the atlanta hawks huge trade package for Dejounte murray your executive Travis Slank steps down. Your head coach is now fired. Oh, let's not even, we can't even forget about the fact that there were rumors earlier in the season due to the disconnect between Trey Young and Nick McMillan that people were speculating the idea of Trey Young potentially putting in a trade request, something that has become relatively popular, it feels like this season. We've already seen it with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And although I don't think that Trey Young is to the caliber of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, um, let's just go to the stats real quick. Trey Young this season is averaging 26.7 points per game, 10.3 assists, 
nearly three rebounds, and he's shooting 88% from the free throw line, 32% from three, which is probably the biggest thing that's hurting them so far this season is that Trey Young is not shooting the three ball well, and that's kind of contagious for this team because they did move on from some relatively solid three-point shooters, including Kevin Herter, for example. Trey Young, despite his percentages not looking great so far this season, Trey Young is still an all-star caliber player, and that means he has legitimate say, say within the franchise as a part of a player-empowered um. He's a part of a player-empowered movement that's taking place within the NBA. So that's pretty insane when you put all of that together. And what I mean by the what I mean by insane is that this is a team that has faced a lot of they faced a lot of issues since making their run to the Eastern Conference Finals. And we all knew that that was kind of a flash in the pan. Their route to being able to reach the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago was one of those things that a lot of people figured was not duplicable. If you remember how it took place, they took out the New York Knicks, which is like Trey Young's super nemesis within the NBA. The Knicks fan base in, in its totality is the pretty much antithesis to everything that is for th that the Atlanta Hawks stand for in terms of being behind Trey Young. Trey Young is their villain. So it almost felt storybook that he took them down in the playoffs, considering the fact that the Knicks hadn't made the playoffs in a good minute up until that point. Then you talk about them facing off against the Philadelphia 76ers. And in that series, Joel and B gets injured. They deal, they deal with a lot of issues talking about the Philadelphia 76ers that allowed um that allowed the Atlanta Hawks to take advantage, including Kevin Herter having one of the games his, games of his life later on in that series to help kind of clinch things. And then in the series against um Milwaukee. I mean, that just kind of wasn't a matchup that was for them. That was um, one of those things that kind of seemed as though they weren't built to beat Milwaukee that year. And so we kind of all anticipated that that would be where the run ended. But since then, like DeAndre Hunter hasn't gotten better. Cam Reddish, who they drafted uh, a season or two prior, has been on like three teams since then. Um, Kevin Herter is no longer on the roster. John Collins is still here, which means that they have not acquired any kind of talent to supplement for the fact that people feel as though his fit with this team isn't that great, which I don't really understand because John Collins has actually been playing relatively well when he is on the floor. I just think the biggest thing with this team so far is that the floor spacing isn't there and John Collins does provide three-point shooting but the space in which this team is operating with isn't the same as it used to be because the shooting around Trey Young isn't the same as it's been in seasons past so I say this because I think that this is going to be such a big storyline because I think that the Atlanta Hawks are in a position of going from being one of the up-and-coming young teams that everybody thought was going to have a long run on the back of Trey Young and then building around a ton of young talent that hit early, especially with guys like DeAndre Hunter, who when he was when he was healthy before getting injured last season, when he was healthy, dude was averaging 20 points per game. He was getting on ball responsibilities. He was playing much better as a two way wing defender. You look at guys like Onyeka Okongwu, people figured that he would be a good transition um, off of Clint Capella if they wanted to go a route of trading Clint Capella in order to acquire more young talent. 
even Bogdan seemed like a very solid pickup, and now he's going to be a guy that has a big decision to make this offseason because he has a player option that he can he can either cho- choose to pick up or he can choose to go into free agency. And considering that so far this season, he's only played in 34 games, the Hawks also have to be a little bit uh, – they also have to kind of tread water in terms of him coming back as well because – it seems like ever since they picked up Bogdan, he's mainly spent his time on the bench injured. So the fall from grace for Atlanta has been drastic because they went from one of those teams that everybody thought might be in the mix for a long time with the kind of talent they had around around Trey Young to now being one of those teams that might quickly end up tanking into the bottom portion of the Eastern Conference and maybe end up being a team that needs to make a significant pivot, which also is tough when you have a guy like Trey Young who's verbalized, not even just to his front office, but out to the media directly that he has a uh he has a personal goal of wanting to make this team a playoff contender and if they are not playing winning basketball then he wants to see things done that allow him to be in those positions to play winning basketball which also could result in potentially putting in a trade request because that is that might be one of the better routes in order to get to the point of playing winning basketball again considering everything that's going on. I think that's really the only way to put it. So I think that the Atlanta Hawks are going to be a big team to watch because the way they finish out this season could be huge for not even just the playoff picture in terms of the teams that end up landing in that play in tournament. But I also think that a big storyline that treads over into the offseason is like, okay, what is the state of this team from the mindset of Trey Young? Because if Trey looks at this team and believes, if Trey Young looks at the Atlanta Hawks and believes that they cannot position themselves to be playoff, perennial playoff and championship contenders, he is going to put himself in a position to be somewhere where he feels as though he can play playoff and championship caliber basketball because he's dude who, he's a dude who's already announced to the world and to the front office that whatever that whatever that requires he wants to see done even if that might end up resulting in him potentially being moved and that's tough to watch but it also would mean Trey Young would easily be like the best commodity on the market this offseason, even in lieu of the fact that there are some decent free agents on the market that are going to be coming out like a Fred Van Vliet and so on and so so on that are going to be out there as potential options to pick up with cap space. Trey Young super will super if he's available on the trade market would supersede anybody that you could pick up with just legitimate cap space. Easily. So I think that's going to be huge. Watch out for Atlanta. Watch out for Trey Young. How this season ends for Atlanta could be huge in dictating the trade market, the free agent market, and honestly could be the difference in some of these up and coming teams. For example, Orlando was a team that was brought up a lot when Trey Young first was rumored to potentially make a trade request. Orlando was a team that was brought up heavily about like if they get a point, if they get an elite point guard, or even a steady, like another steady point guard, they, they're going to be dangerous. Markel Fultz has played relatively well, but outside of Markel, their guard room is kind of tough with Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs. It's, it's okay 
But there's a different element that a guy like a Trey Young or even a Fred Van Vliet, who has been rumored as a as a potential pickup for them this offseason. There's a different element that those kind of guys provide. Orlando has a lot of potential draft capital and at young assets on the roster. I could see Orlando trying to make a legit run at Trey Young to bolster up their backcourt. Trey Young, Paulo Franz, and whoever they get in the draft this year. Ooh, and you got the nerve to still have Wendell Carter and Jonathan Isaac on your team? Oh, my God. The magic would be OD. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not pushing for this because I want to see Atlanta continue to play, you know, high-level basketball. I'm from Georgia. I would love to see Atlanta win games and make continuous runs at the playoffs. But if Trey Young puts in a trade request, Orlando Magic, please go after Trey Young and go after him heavy because Trey Young, Paolo, Jonathan Isaac, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, Bowl Bowl. Oh my God, bro. That team would be OD. I'm just saying. So the Atlanta Hawks are definitely a team to watch. They're gonna, their, their season is going to dictate a lot of potential moves um this offseason, just based off the happiness of their young superstar. Um, the number four thing that I have is something that to me I feel like might not be a big deal in the long run, but could be influential on this postseason. And that is the state of the LA Clippers, especially after picking up. Russell Westbrook. Let's start up first with what they are getting in the form of Russell Westbrook this season. Like what kind of Russell Westbrook are they getting this year? So far this season, Russell Westbrook is averaging 15.9 points per game. He is averaging about a steal per game, seven and a half assists, 6.2 rebounds, shooting a tough 65% from the free throw line, but he is also shooting 41% from the field and a tough 29.6% from three. But we know what Russell mainly brings. He be, he brings rebounding at the guard position. He brings more pace to any team he plays on because he plays with such high tempo. If he's a guy who can grab it off the glass and push, that allows them to create, that allows the teams that he plays on to play faster more up-tempo, and it allows them to be able to create offense earlier in the shot clock, which is big for certain teams that have a lot of shooters or that have superstars who can also ball handle because by initiating the offense earlier, you create these actions that then kind of send the defense scrambling, so on and so forth. The biggest thing with Russell Westbrook, obviously, has been needing to have legitimate shooting around him. The Lakers, obviously, with the construction they had before the Russell Westbrook trade, did not really have legitimate shooting around them unless you're talking about LeBron James and probably Austin Reeves, right? Those are like probably their two guys that are solid from a from a percentage standpoint from beyond the arc. Not a lot of floor spacing for that team, and therefore he did not fit for the Lakers. The Clippers, on the other hand, funny part about staying inside a crypto.com arena is you go over to the other team in LA and their their skill sets across the board actually kind of fit what Russell Westbrook can provide, but also fits more of the play style he wants to play. Now, here's the thing. Let's go down just the statistics for what the Clippers have done so far this season. We must factor in PG has missed time. Kawhi Leonard has obviously missed significant time as well. This team is also acquiring uh, Eric Gordon via trade. They did let go of guys like Reggie Jackson and um, John Wall, but they picked up Bones Highland in the meantime. It seems as though Russell Westbrook is also going to start for this team as opposed to for the clip. I mean, for the Lakers, he was coming off the bench. 
These are all things to take into consideration. But here are some of the things that are notable about the Clippers prior to this trade. The Clippers are third worst in terms of points per game, but the fourth best in terms of points allowed. They have the 19th off, 19th best offense and the 10th best defense. One of the more notable things about that in particular, speci specifically impacting the offensive end, is they are 25th, which is fifth worst in terms of pace per play. Something I want to bring up really quick is the Lakers and where they land in terms of pace of play. Prior to this trade, they were second. Russell Westbrook effect. That's one of those things where this team was able to take advantage of the fact that Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, even to a certain degree, thrive best when they are able to grab the ball and create instant offense and play more high-tempo basketball, especially when you're a part of a team specifically that didn't have the kind of spacing that the Lakers were lacking at the time. Now you look at a team like the Clippers that do have the athletes. They do have the shooting. You look across their roster, Terrence Mann, um, Norman Powell, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, with Eric Gordon, even Bones Highland, these are all guys that are athletic wings that can thrive out in transition. If you have a guy like Russell Westbrook who can average six to seven rebounds per game and loves to take the ball off the glass and push, that is huge because this team has the athletes to get out and run in ways that we've seen Russell Westbrook thrive in the past by being able to just kind of play at his kind of speed. And like I mentioned before, the Lakers are second in pace of play, at least prior to the Russell Westbrook trade. The Clippers were one of the worst teams in pace of play. I think that is huge for giving them not just a different wrinkle in terms of their offense, but it also makes offense easier for them, which is super important for a team that's key word in terms of the issues they face on a season-to-season -season basis has been continuity. You want to know the easiest way to help continuity? Create easy ways to create baskets and create offense so that there's not as much tendency to need to pick up from the players around you. If you don't have to worry as much about where the players around you like to get the ball or where they shoot best from or what kind of actions they thrive best in. And you can just thrive in a transition. And you obviously can't do this the entire game, but if you can thrive in a transition setting, it creates this continuity where everybody is able to get their hands on the ball just simply off of being ready and willing to sprint down the floor, catch the ball and make quick decisions. I think that the Clippers, with the kind of wing play they have and the wing versatility they have, if they are to increase their tempo and increase their decision making, as opposed to falling into more of an ISO heavy kind of offense that leans kind of on guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to kind of self-create as their main way of getting bu buckets, this team can really be dangerous. Like every single season since Kawhi Leonard and Paul George got to LA, we've said like, yo, they've got the they've got the top two talent. They've got this year. I thought they were going to be one of the top three teams in the Western Conference just off the strength that like, if you look at their roster, they are one of the deepest teams in basketball. On paper, they are one of the deepest teams in basketball. But the lack of continuity and the inability for guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to stay on the floor, specifically Kawhi Leonard really had really has hurt them throughout the season and the interchangeable roles of the guys on their floor on the floor for them has really kind of made it where they haven't been able to play 
up to the standards of what they have on their roster. It's it'll it's kind of weird to phrase it this way, but I feel like Russell Westbrook has the potential. And I say the potential because nothing is guaranteed with Russell Westbrook. At the end of the day, we do have to factor in that he is a tough decision maker. He is a guy that when you need him to make proper decisions, sometimes he becomes more erratic with the ball. When things kind of speed up, his mind also speeds up and it causes him to make decisions that are not favorable for the teams he plays on. But this is all I'm saying. He adds pace to their team. This is a Clippers team that is seventh in the league in terms of three-point percentage as a team, shooting almost 38% as a squad. Now, granted, Luke Kennard was on this team as well, and now he's in Memphis. That might have something to do with that. But they still have legitimate three-point shooting across the board as you've got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Moore is all shooting 38% on at least five attempts per game. Norman Powell is shooting 41% on almost five per, uh, attempts per game. You've got even Eric Gordon prior to coming to this team on four attempts per game, shooting just over 37%. They've got guys, they're taking, they're taking legitimately high volume threes. They're 11th in the league in terms of three-point attempts, which is not middle of the pack, close to middle of the pack, but not middle of the pack in terms of attempts per game. And they're hitting them at a high clip. So we're giving Russell Westbrook a team that desperately needs a lead decision maker because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have been clamoring that they need better talent at the point guard position. It's been like that for about a season or two. A team that desperately needs a guy who can help pick up the pace offensively for them. And from a Russell Westbrook perspective, he has teammates around him who genuinely spread the floor. And that doesn't even factor in the fact that Ty Lue likes to play five out in terms of five guards or five wing caliber players that can all switch, that can all get out and run, that can all be hyper-athletic and switch around and basically thrive in transition. That's a style that Ty Lue has seen be um, effective time in and time out, especially in the postseason. I don't want to say that it's a match made in heaven, but I think that Russell Westbrook plus the L.A. Clippers could be a team that could really give any of these teams in the Western Conference a run for their money. In a weird way, what Russell Westbrook provides to the L.A. Clippers is the one is, is, is a lot of the things that I think can make them significantly more dangerous in a postseason setting against some of these teams that they were initially up against. Because he gives them a different flavor. Ty, I think Ty Lue understands that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can get shots whenever they need them. Definitely love the fact that you have two ISO guys who can create for themselves. But this is a team that desperately needs some kind of mode where that they can switch to where they can get much easier baskets and see some of their other guys thrive in a real way and that being mainly guys like Terrence Mann and Nicholas Batum and dudes like that who I think might be able to thrive if the pace is pushed up a little bit so that's number that's number two that's like my fourth thing so to speak we're moving up the hierarchy now my third thing that I think is like in terms of the hierarchy is most important is oh, the other team in Los Angeles 
Lord have mercy. I hate to actually have this conversation because I genuinely don't believe that it's real. But if we look at the standings right now, the Los Angeles Lakers still have hope. It's crazy to say, but they still have hope. If we look at the bracket right now, the Lakers are 13th in the Western Conference at 27 and 32. They are three games, only three games behind the Pelicans and the Minnesota Timberwolves who are both in 7th and 8th place in the West. If you want to go a notch higher than that, they're three and a half games from being a part of that uh being a part of that top 6 where you have the Mavericks. If you want to get even more technical than that, you also have the Suns in 5th place that adds about another game. So the Lakers are essentially one strong winning streak away from legitimately being back in the playoff contention. You have LeBron James, who is voicing to the media that missing the playoffs is not in his DNA. They pick up guys like Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, and they ship off Patrick Be uh, Beverly in favor of getting Mo Bamba. I think that was more of like a locker room move than it was really a fit move. Um. I think when you look at the Lakers and the makeup of their team, I can't even, also can't forget D'Angelo Russell as well, of course. They have a much deeper roster now. They have LeBron James. They have Anthony Davis. They have a team that at least looks competent and fits more to their play styles now by having a, knock, a knockdown three-point shooter in Malik Beasley. They have a legit ball handler that makes good decisions with the basketball in D'Angelo Russell. They have a guy with legit defensive versatility in Jared Vanderbilt who can switch between the three, four, and maybe even guard fives. You grab Mo Bamba, he can play center minutes if AD is in the game, if Anthony Davis is super big on playing the four in certain matchups. You can throw a guy like Mo Bamba in there to kind of fill up time at the center position. Whether I love it or not, the Lakers legitimately have a chance. That just goes to show you how crazy the Western Conference is. If we look at the circumstances of the West, let's go at the teams that they're going to have to get past. The Portland Trailblazers are underachieving despite the fact that Damian Lillard is easily having like the best career. He's like having the best like season of his career. The Utah Jazz are doing like the quiet tank now that they've moved on. Obviously, they were included in that trade with the Lakers. This is their version of the quiet take. Shout out to Team Jazz at All-Star Weekend. Shout out to Laurie Markkinen for making the All-Star game. But this is definitely a team that's not looking to move up the standings anytime soon. The Oklahoma City Thunder, I think, are going to continue to be scrappy. I think they actually have a legit reason to push for at least making the play-in tournament. This is a team that cannot continue to afford to accumulate draft picks on their roster because as they continue to add guys, these millions of draft picks are great and all, but they're coming down to the wire of having to start consolidating because they can't fit all these guys on their roster. So they're a team that's going to be trying to push for the postseason for sure, but they're still a very young squad. The Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry is injured. And anytime he's injured, the Warriors do struggle. They play relatively well because they have the championship equity and the championship mindset. But this talent is only but so good when Steph Curry is not a part of the team. And, and it seems like Steve Kerr only really knows how to play the Steph Curry way, whether he is or is not on the floor. 
The Minnesota Timberwolves have been relatively good in spite of missing Carl Anthony Towns, and it seems like Carl will be back on the floor sometime this season. That benefits them, but integrating Mike Conley into the team, it helps them out because it puts a guy who's familiar with Rudy Gobert on the team and gives them a much steadier hand, but it's going to take a second to see how that fits. Anthony Edwards has also been playing at a really high level. New Orleans Pelicans are going to be without Zion Williamson for a significant time. They are one of the deeper teams in basketball from a roster construction standpoint, but they have so many guys that do the same thing that they're still kind of fiddling around with their lineups. And although Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum have been able to hold it down, it has been rough without Zion on the floor. So when you go throughout the teams that are in front of the Lakers, everybody has their own issues that could end up knocking them out. And the Lakers can go for broke. They know that they're playing for Braun. They know they're playing for the fact that they don't want to miss the postseason again after last year. They know that in a Western conference that's this cramped, if they get into the postseason with the kind of talent they have on their roster in any seven-game series, they are maybe not going to be considered favorites. Dep depending, but actually, I would say maybe depending on who they face, you go into a series. I think if, if you look at odds makers right now, if the Lakers were to go in a series against the Memphis Grizzlies or the Sacramento Kings, I think that Vegas would favor the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers are better than either one of those teams, but I think that the talent equity that they have with LeBron James and Anthony Davis alone would outmatch what people think John Morant and Triple J have or what De'Aaron Fox and DeMarcus Sabonis have. I think that I think that's how Vegas would feel about it. And so, therefore, they might go into a series favored, and that gives you a lot of hope for a team that's going to be on the road a lot. So for the Lakers, they understand, especially with a much more well-rounded roster this season or this back half of the year, if they make the postseason, they are a threat. So unlike a lot of these teams, specifically the Jazz, Thunder, and maybe even the Trailblazers to an extent, and even maybe the Pelicans as well, who are not incentivized to win this season by any stretch because they're still a young team trying to figure things out in terms of their roster construction, you have three or four teams that have some big decisions to make in terms of how they want to push these next 25 to 28 games. Would that be in a case? The Lakers can go for broke and genuinely make a strong push for the postseason. And they have nothing to lose because they don't even have their pick this year because it goes to New Orleans. Or at least I believe it's a pick swap. They have more to play for than any team. The Lakers have more to play for than any team from 13 where they sit to seven where the Pelicans are. And we all know that some of the more dangerous teams in the NBA are the teams that are desperate and willing to do the most to make a legit push. The teams that are willing to mortgage the most, the teams that are willing to push in, lean in to making a legit postseason run, those are the teams that you have to fear the most because those are the teams going for broke and are willing to do anything to get to where it is they're trying to go. And with the understanding that they have limited time with LeBron James playing at this level, they have to take all of that type of stuff into consideration. That's actually part of the reason why the Russell Westbrook trade was facilitated and it got even better because they didn't even have to include both picks in that situation. So I hate to admit it, but I genuinely think that the Lakers could be one of those teams we might have to watch out for because despite the fact that they are so low in the Western Conference right now, it literally will only take one really strong run for this team to put themselves into the play-in tournament 
And if they get into the play-in tournament, they have the talent to win a game or win two games. And then if they make the postseason in a seven-game series against any of these teams, I think any of the top three teams in the Western Conference as the as currently constructed, it's the Nuggets, Grizzlies, and Kings. Even the Clip the Clippers have their number, but even the Clippers to an extent, just because we know their postseason history, any of those four teams should be worried. Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Clippers should be worried that the Lakers might could actually make the postseason. Because now that the Lakers are finally competent for the first time in a couple of seasons, you might not want to see them in a postseason setting because Braun is not playing. Braun is not holding back for anybody. And now he has a roster that can help him. Like legit help him. That is a dangerous combination. So that's number three. Number two is Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks. I mean, come on, man. L like, let's be real. They they're one of the teams that made the first. They're the team that made the first real splash of the NBA trade deadline by acquiring Kyrie Irving. You now have the best first quarter scorer in Luka Doncic, the best fourth quarter scorer in Kyrie Irving, uh, or fourth quarter scorer in Luka Doncic, and the best in the clutch scorer in Kyrie Irving. So you have one of the better starters, like the better starters to games and two of the best closers in the game. They're going to be a they're going to be a tough out. Now losing Dorian Finney-Smith I think was huge. I think if they get I think specifically if they're able to get Maxi Kleber back, that could be huge for them. I think that that could really help them out. I think another thing that would be super big for them is if they can get Dwight Powell back. Um, Maxi has been Maxi has been okay this season. Um, and I think that Dwight Powell has played relatively well as well. I think the biggest thing for this season for this team is that they have to maximize this time with Kyrie Irving. They have to make the most of the time that they have with Kyrie Irving because nobody knows what this man is going to do this offseason. We just got to keep it real. We don't know what he's going to do this offseason. And that puts them in a very tough position because although you can easily say they swung for broke and just wanted to see what the best can do, and we've seen that work in the past with teams like the Toronto Raptors, nothing is guaranteed. And when you factor in a wild card like a Kyrie Irving, that kind of doubles down on what the potential ramifications of such a trade like this one could end up resulting in. So the Dallas Mavericks, this is a winner go home kind of move. This is a make or break potential kind of move. And I think that if it works, Dallas could legit make the Western Conference Finals again and maybe even be over the top now with a guy who can legit close for them in Kyrie Irving, who Luka Doncic was able to get to the finals essentially with this team, but instead of Kyrie Irving, it was either Jalen Brunson or um, Spencer Dinwiddie. He was able to make strong postseason runs with those two guys as his uh, alternating point guards. Now you have Kyrie Irving, who is definitely better than both of them from a talent perspective. I think that the Dallas Mavericks are in a really solid spot. 
They also, again, fall into this category. When I talked about the Lakers, they fall into this category of a team that is that has a lot to lose and everything to gain with the move that they made. If they can get healthy, if Christian Wood can put together a strong postseason, a guy who has not seen the postseason, mind you, if he can ball out, on, on his first time on a big stage, if Luka Doncic can continue to be the guy that we know he's been under the bright light, same thing with Kyrie Irving. You have a guy in Josh Green who now might arguably be their third best player because of the versatile defense that he provides, as well as the fact that he's been playing a lot better offensively over the last couple of weeks. Shout out to Josh Green, man. Josh Green has been one of those guys that kind of when he first entered the league, a lot of people were worried about what he provides for this team, had a much, much slower start to the to his NBA career than Dallas Mavericks fans might have hoped. But nobody really gave up on him. And he is starting to really blossom into a guy to watch out for. Like I said, there is a legitimate case that Josh Green, maybe he's not their third best player from a talent perspective, but he might be their third most important player this season. Let me repeat that. I think Josh Green might be the Dallas Mavericks third most important player this season. When you look at what he provides as a two way wing, what he gives them as a transition player, as another potential dude to initiate offense or at least try to shot generate for himself. I think that Josh Green is going to be huge in terms of this, but obviously it comes down to the duo of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. It seems as though, despite the record with them two playing against each other, playing next to each other, not necessarily standing out in favor of this. I think if you actually watch the games, if you turn on the if you turn on the possessions and you really look at the circumstances of this team through the first couple of games of them playing together, you can see that Luka Dodgers and Kyrie Irving are both trying to feel each other out in their play styles, and they're almost being too passive to one another because they're trying to make sure that they incorporate one another in this offense that, of course, on paper looks like it's going to be a lot of your turn, my turn. And I think that's huge because the willingness to defer, specifically from Luka Doncic, the willingness to defer is huge for this Dallas Mavericks team. Because, let's be real, the Dallas Mavericks are the second worst team in terms of pace of play. If we go through the last couple of seasons and we think about what the Dallas Mavericks have been playing like in terms of pace last season, they were dead last in terms of pace. The season before that, they were sixth worst in pace. They had Rick Carlisle at the time still as a part, still as part of the coaching staff. Again, 18th in pace. This is a team that has gotten slower and slower by the season, and it's not because of coaching. Jason Kidd is the dang coach. You know their team wants to run if, if they can. Luka Doncic has so much, of so much of an influence on this team's play style that they play much slower than they probably should with the kind of team that they have. Kyrie Irving brings that to the table kind of similar to what i mentioned with russell westbrook earlier um about what he brings in terms of a change of pace for the team kyrie irving plays with a different kind of tempo a much more up-tempo speed than luka Doncic, and that gives them a different flavor offensively 
that can give defenses a problem because you get the slow methodical that is Luka Doncic, and then you have the quick decision can take you off the bounce, Kyrie Irving, and it gives you this one-two punch of different different styles that makes you have to it makes you as a defense say, "Dang, we got to pick our poison." And it's not just because of the talent. Duh, you have to pick your poison between Luka Doncic or Kyrie Irving just from a talent perspective. But when you game plan for this Dallas Mavericks team, you have to ask yourself, which version of the Dallas Mavericks is more beneficial for us to let play out when we face off against them, specifically more so in a seven-game series? Do we want to see more of a Luka takeover game that has more to do with playing methodically, locking in within the half court, or do you want to see more of a quick decision pace team that's kind of led more off the back of what Kyrie Irving's play style caters to? Those are the type of things that you have the game plan for in a seven-game series that is going to be tough when you also account for the fact that these two guys are just that dang good. The Dallas Mavericks are going to be a tough out. I know that on paper, it looks like, okay, you lost a ton of defense when you talk about a guy in Dorian, Dorian Finney-Smith who was like one of the premier 3 and D wings in the league. You lose a guy in Spencer Dinwiddie who was having a very strong season this year and has been really good as a member of the Dallas Mavericks since being traded there. But you got a lot of guys with a lot to prove. Kyrie Irving needs to have a strong postseason because he's in a contract year. And although Dallas is definitely going to throw the bag at him after trading as much capital as they did. At the same time, they got to feel comfortable paying for what they're paying for. Christian Wood has never been in the postseason before. Josh Green, people are joining, joining the Josh Green bandwagon, but. He's been considered as like an untouchable for this Dallas Mavericks squad for the last season or two. He is going to have to continue to prove that. They've got a lot of they've got a lot of guys on this team that still have things to prove. And this postseason is going to be very indicative in telling us and telling Dallas Mavericks fans specifically what is the ceiling of this team? Because if Luka Doncic can't win if Luka Doncic can't win to the extent that he did with Jalen Brunson as in his backcourt, now with Kyrie Irving, what is the ceiling of this team? Because this is arguably, just by injecting Kyrie Irving into the lineup, along with the fact that now you have Christian Wood, this may arguably be the most talented version of the Dallas Mavericks that Luka Doncic has been a part of. Easily the most talented version of the Dallas Mavericks. So if where they go this postseason is going to tell us where the floor or maybe even maybe more so tell us where the ceiling on this team is. And is there any legitimate pathway for the Dallas Mavericks to make that next jump into being a finals contender as opposed to a Western Conference final contender? Or. Is this team only as good as getting past the first? maybe getting past the second round, but continuously bumping their head on the Western Conference Finals. That's that's a tough that's a tough situation. The Dallas Mavericks are in a very interesting situation because what they do this year is just honestly going to tell us how good they have the capability of being. And of course, most will say, oh, no, once they get a full season of Kyrie Irving, 
then then we'll really know. Most will say next season is the one. But none of us know that Kyrie Irving is going to actually be on this team next season. There's a lot of people saying that there's still a master plan where Kyrie Irving could end up with the Lakers. Some have even said that there's a master plan that Kyrie Irving could end up with Kevin Durant again as a part of the Phoenix Suns if the Suns are willing to finagle some kind of sign and trade. I mean, it's finagle some kind of trade that involves uh, DeAndre Ayton and potentially moving off for, for uh, moving off from Chris Paul, who they did try to utilize as a trade piece to trade for Kyrie Irving when he initially put his trade request in. Keep that in mind. Chris Paul is not safe, and DeAndre Ayton is a guy who can legitimately be put on the trade block this offseason. So the Phoenix Suns have this, the ability to now finagle space to potentially go after a guy like Kyrie Irving. They might not be able to offer him as much money as the Dallas Mavericks, but they might be able to provide him the best opportunity to win they might be able to give him a strong enough contract that will also be able to facilitate kind of reestablishing some positivity around his name if they're able to play winning basketball with a trio of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and then filling out pieces. It sounds insane. But Dallas is in a weird spot. So this is kind of their litmus test. To tell us, okay, with Kyrie Irving, or let's just say with another all-star caliber player next to Luka Doncic, who legitimately fits, because a lot of people thought that Christos Porzingis would be that guy. If Luka Doncic has a legit all-star caliber player next to him, what is their ceiling? This season is the litmus test for that, because we don't know what's going to happen after this year. We just don't. So, man, Dallas, Dallas is one of them teams. And then the number one team, we got to obviously go to them, the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns, prior to the Kevin Durant trade, were 22nd in scoring and 5th in, uh, in opponents' points per game, 17th in offense and 8th in defense. Now they've traded all their 3 and D wings and Jay Crowder, who didn't play for them, Mikael Bridges, and Cam Johnson. That's all their 3 and D wings. Since then, they've brought in Terrence Ross, who once again is another offensive-minded player um, for their team. And they did acquire Darius Baisley and TJ Warren as supplemental wings, but obviously not guys that are 3 and D um, specialists. Or let me not say specialists, because Mikael Bridges in particularly has proven he can do a lot better with some more on-ball responsibility. TJ Warren... And Darius Baisley do not provide the 3 and D attributes to the caliber of what Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson brought to the table. So you're supplementing the wing position, but at the same time, they're not as talented in the wing position in terms of what that team needs in order to in order to thrive the way they've been able to in years past by having so much versatility on the, on the perimeter. So what does this mean now injecting Kevin Durant into the lineup? 
I think that what's going to end up happening is when Kevin Durant joins this roster, their circumstances are going to flip. I can see this becoming one of the best scoring offenses in the league, but then they become one of the worst defenses in the league from in terms of allowing other teams to score. I think that this team is in a position to maybe be much better, probably significantly better offensively, especially because D-Book is healthy. Chris Paul is starting to pick up his play a little bit. And then obviously Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. They are going to be a much better offense, hands down. But their defense, I think, is going to take a big hit. And maybe that ends up hurting them more in the postseason. But I think, think in terms of their push towards the postseason, finishing out this regular season, they are going to end up, by the end of the regular season, the Phoenix Suns are going to end up surplanting themselves as like one of like the top five offenses in the league. Now, what that ends up meaning by the time they get to the playoffs, that's tough. I think you can make an argument that they might have the best duo in any series they go into with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. I think that you can make a legitimate case talent-wise that they probably will have the best. Yeah, they'll probably have the best duo in any series they play. I also think you may be able to argue that if you're talking about top four, it would be KD, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. I think they would arguably have the best four slash starting five, depending on how you decide to play that. Obviously, TJ Warren is on a pitch count, but he could be pretty solid for them. Um, Tory Craig and Damian Lee both provide three and D um capability for their team. So maybe they might be better fits in the starting lineup. But I think no matter how you look at it, they might even potentially have the best starting lineup in any series they go into. That might be an interesting episode to do is to kind of rank the top five or the top 10 um starting fives in the league heading into the postseason so that's something to keep in mind but they are going to be giving up a lot defensively now we'll see how much that matters if we look at the potential teams that they could end up having to face mm, the grizzlies like to play up and down basketball so giving up defensively might not be a big deal because phoenix might not mind getting in a track meet with them the Sacramento Kings are a wild card because we've never seen them in a postseason setting. And that kind of makes things interesting because you kind of never know what their approach is going to be. And they're not one of the better defenses in the league, them dang selves. So they might end up being a track meet team as well. Um, Dallas is a little bit more methodical, but I think that Phoenix lines up with Dallas relatively well. That would be a series where maybe you have to ask yourself who is the better player in the series. If Phoenix, if Phoenix and the Dallas Mavericks were to face off in a seven-game series, who would the best player in the series be? Would it be Kevin Durant or would it be Luka Doncic? I think that's a great question to ask because I think that's huge. Because when you look at the pecking order after that, I think you can make an argument that it's either KD or Luka, then whoever you don't have number one is number two. And then it's probably, then you have to ask yourself, who's better, D-Book or Kyrie Irving? I think that's interesting. But then I think after that, outside of the top four, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are probably better than any other player that Dallas is going to be throwing out from that point. 
And of course, playoffs are not determined by who just has the better top guys, but stars are the deciding factor in the postseason setting because your talent is very influential into what you can do when you're game plan for on a night-to-night -night basis like the way you are in the postseason. So Phoenix is in an interesting position because Kevin Durant has given them a wild card offensively where despite taking such a hit on the defensive side of the ball, they might just be that much more lethal offensively with three killer mid-range shooters and Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and having Chris uh, and having Kevin Durant in the lineup now that like that might just be that. And I mean, you also got to look at it from the perspective of like having some of the better tough shot makers in the league. Like if you just look at it from the perspective of like in the clutch situations, where do guys like Chris Paul, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant rank amongst the dudes you're going to see this postseason in terms of being able to get you a bucket when you need it? Chris Paul might not be top five in that list. I think he still might be top 10 in that list of guys when you look at the postseason setup. But I think you can make a legitimate argument that both Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are top five guys in terms of the current playoff picture. They might both be top five guys in terms of a dude you want to have the ball in their hands in a game-winning or in a game-changing scenario to flip momentum in favor of their team. I think those are two guys where if they get a if they get a significant bucket, they have the ability to get a significant timely bucket that can either help win them the game or flip momentum to lead their team into making a push towards winning the game in ways that I think a handful of other players in this in this postseason picture might not be able to. I think Luca's in there. I think Kyrie's in there. I think that Kawhi is in there. I think that Jason Tatum might be in there. I think Donovan Mitchell is considerable for that. I think that maybe Jimmy Butler is in the conversation as well for a top five spot. But I think that Devin Booker and, Ky and Kevin Durant might be two guys who like legitimately stamp their spot as top five dudes to fear when trying to close out a game or close out a series. Like those are two guys that in those kind of scenarios are at the top of the pecking order or somewhere in that echelon. So, bro, I mean, it is insane to think about, but the, the Phoenix Suns, and I mentioned this after the trade happened on one of uh, one on the, I think it was the episode right after the trade happened that like their championship odds switched from them being like 10th to being second behind only Boston. I think that just has a lot to do with the fact that when you look across the Western Conference, you ask yourself, like, who's guarding KD? You go down the list of everybody in the Western Conference and the only team that might actually be built to even really put a body on KD is probably the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They're probably the only team that actually has the physical assets on their roster to really give a guy like KD problems in the Western Conference. In the East, it was different. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, Joel Embiid, if you really want to get there, but I don't think they would have Joel Embiid out on the perimeter too, too much. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, 
um, Evan Mobley to a certain degree as well. Jimmy Butler, like the Eastern Conference was much more built with wings that could at least attempt to give Kevin Durant a hard time. In the Western Conference, the wing depth, specifically in terms of guys that have, um, that take pride defensively, the wing depth has significantly, significantly depleted where maybe the only other guy outside of the Clippers dudes is probably... Man, maybe maybe Dylan Brooks for the Grizzlies, but I don't even feel super confident about that. And you maybe can make an argument for Anthony Edwards just with his athleticism if he's willing to really sit in the chair and lock in with, in ways we've seen him do. For example, we saw him do that against um, the Memphis Grizzlies last postseason when he was locked in defensively. He looked like one of them dudes that could legit be like scary as a two way wing. But that's really still a short list in the Western Conference in terms of guys that can legit guard Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant moving to the Western Conference might have been like his best decision, not just from the team that he went to, but in terms of the teams that that now he's up against. He is now individually built. He is now individually built to really take out almost any team in the Western Conference just based off the strength of his own individual talent. Like he obviously needs other guys around him. Don't get it twisted. And having Devin Booker, having Devin Booker and Chris Paul as those guys, DeAndre Ayton as well, definitely a plus. But his skill set and his overall talent and ability is much more catered to being able to take out the the competition in the Western Conference than what he originally had up against him in the East. Oh, man. I, I know this is kind of a long ramble about the Phoenix Suns, but they just made one of the biggest trades in NBA history, and it might be such a groundbreaking trade that it changes the dynamic of their team so much that they go from being a strong defensive team to a high-octane, high-powered offensive team. And in a weird way, there's a, there's a possibility that that decision might inadvertently be the thing that gets them over the hump because being well-rounded enough, having versatility wasn't enough to get out of the Western Conference semifinals last year. It wasn't enough to get them past um, the Milwaukee Bucks in the finals. But now the Phoenix Suns are easily the most talented version of themselves since Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns returned to starting to be like good again. So now you have to ask yourself, okay, well-roundedness didn't help us win a championship. So can talent, can talent carry us to where we need to go? That's such a, that's such an interesting social experiment. And we get to see it right in front of our eyes, this change in dynamic. Okay, you don't have three very strong three and D wings like you did before, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder. But you have one three and D wing who might be the greatest three and D wing of all time in terms of ISO scoring, offensive output, and the ability to still be super effective on the defensive end when needed. So you basically consolidate those three guys into one super guy. And now you ask yourself, like, yo. In a postseason where our rotation shorts, our rotation uh, shortens, and talent has that much more influence on 
winning as opposed to the regular season where depth might have much more impact on winning. Like, are the Phoenix Suns now oddly better because they've got one player that's probably better than all three players of that they sent out combined at the same position? Oh, man. I still got Denver coming out of the Western Conference. But like their road to getting out of the Western Conference is just so scary when you know that teams like the Phoenix Suns are just sitting there. Everybody still has Golden State as a sleeping giant. I'm kind of fearful about that one because their inability to win on the road just makes me like not fear them as much. Steph Curry on the floor and all. I just feel as though they've just struggled on the road this year. And that's going to be huge for a team that's probably not going to get home court. The Clippers, they are scary too still. Memphis, Memphis is out for blood. Man, and obviously, like I said, Phoenix is who they are. Denver, Denver is in a very weird spot. I have them still coming out of the out of the Western Conference because I think that they front to back have been the best team with one of the best players, if not the best player in the league, maybe even going for his third MVP in Nikola Jokic. But like we have to watch out for these Phoenix Suns because I feel like at like like Kevin Durant is easily like the biggest wild card in the NBA because you just plopped the greatest scorer or one of the greatest scorers in NBA history into a conference that was not built. They were not built for him the way the Eastern Conference was. The way the Eastern Conference is, I mean. The West is not built for Kevin Durant the way the Eastern Conference was. The kind of guys that the Eastern Conference have to throw at Kevin, that was what was going to make things for Brooklyn much harder because teams had better matchup equity against a guy like Kevin Durant. The West is not ready for what Kevin Durant has. From a personnel standpoint, no team in the playoff picture, even coming down to the Lakers, who I tried to laud for earlier, which I had to lobby for, excuse me. No team in the potential postseason picture in the Western Conference is built for KD, bro. KD really is a game breaker, dog. KD is really a game breaker and might shake the whole Western Conference up when he comes back. This dude was in the MVP. Kevin Durant was in the MVP race before he got injured. In the Eastern Conference, as a member of the Eastern Conference. Now, he's going to be coming back to a team that is better, more drama-free, and is probably much more geared to his skill set, while also having the backdrop of being a dude who has notoriously come back off of major injuries and played as if though he had never missed a beat? That's the guy that's coming back and playing for the Phoenix Suns? Insanity, bro. Pure madness. So those are my top five storylines to watch out for heading into this back half of the NBA regular season as we make our strong push towards the postseason. Just to repeat those again, 
My fifth one was the state of the Atlanta Hawks and what to happen, what to do and what's going to happen with Trey Young. Number four was the L.A. Clippers and Russell Westbrook and how Russell Westbrook may quietly be the key to unlocking the L.A. Clippers and turning them into the championship contenders that I think everybody believes they have the cap capability of doing and being, but have not necessarily lived up to. Number three is the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, the Lakers, at the end of the day, they have LeBron James, they have Anthony Davis, and now for the first time in two seasons, they have legitimate depth again, and they have real versatility in ways that we haven't even seen dating back to the 2020 bubble year. I don't even think from a roster fit standpoint that that team fit together as well as the way this roster now looks on paper after the trade deadline. So now the Lakers, from a from a from a trade equity standpoint, have been able to hold on to some of the things they valued the most, partic particularly being able to keep the twenty twenty nine pick. They get better at point guard in terms of fit. They add defense and they add shooting. Lakers are definitely a team to still keep an eye out on, despite the fact that they have a very tough road ahead of them. Number two is the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving kind of have to fit. And it has to show this season because no season after this is guaranteed for this duo. No season is guaranteed when you have Kyrie Irving being one of the decision makers as to what the future of this team looks like. And when you factor in that Luka Doncic is going to be facing his first real free agency in 2027, this team does have a small window to keep Luka happy before he gets to take matters truly into his own hands. And then number one, Kevin Durant, the game breaker for the Phoenix Suns, is in the Western Conference and is going to wreak havoc. And he single-handedly might have switched the pendulum in favor of Phoenix potentially in terms of championship equity in the Western Conference. The Phoenix Suns are not only just going to be must-watch must TV, but they might end up going into the postseason as like an odds favorite to maybe win the whole dang thing. Tuh. Still crazy to think about. But with that being the case, guys, this is going to conclude this edition of the Routine Jumper Radio podcast. Remember, you can catch me live on the AMP Radio Live show app every Monday and Wednesday at 10.30 a.m. Today, I actually didn't record live, but that is something I want to still implement on a consistent basis. Also, let me know if you guys like this format a little bit better in terms of me being a little bit more organized with my points being a little bit more detailed with each team that i focus on and still providing this stream of consciousness uh form of content but having a little bit more behind it i, I don't know if people prefer um a more analytical approach to basketball or if they prefer more of a narrative approach to basketball so it's all dependent on the audience of course so definitely let me know which version of content you like better narrative off the top or analytical off the top you know at the end of the day i'm gonna share my thoughts i'm just a guy with a mic that likes talking basketball but i think the format in which i do it is going to definitely be more dictated to how you guys uh best receive it 
Um, also remember to follow the Knockdown J and Routine Jumper on TikTok and Instagram. Blog will be coming soon. My hope is to have that launched by March at the latest, but I'm working on things to get that started back up. Hope get that started back up soon because I actually have been working on the site for a while now, a very long while now, but I'm starting to finally get a, a footing as until uh, in regards to my schedule as a person who's in school and has multiple jobs, but also trying to do this. And um, don't sleep on the Hit Your Free Throw podcast either. I'm doing a podcast with my friend TV on basketball that we do every single week where we have our conversations with uh, about the NBA as a league. And we also have a page, uh, Hit Your Free Throws pod on Instagram on tic- and TikTok as well, where we try to provide daily content covering the NBA and so on and so forth. Um, all of those socials will obviously be included in the description for this episode. Once again, guys, I hope you guys have truly been enjoying this NBA season. We are on the push to the playoffs. It feels crazy. It feels like this season has flown past us. The All-Star break is soon to be behind us. And the real push towards competitive basketball is now right in front of us, meaning that things are going to get crazy across the league. And I am going to be here to cover all of that. So until next time, guys. Continue to enjoy this. Enjoy. Continue to enjoy this NBA basketball. Stay tuned to the Routine Jumper podcast. I will catch you guys next Monday. But until then, peace. <laughs>